Well, good morning. Welcome again to Christ Central. I'm so glad you're with us today. My name is Daniel and I'm one of the pastors. And if you are new or someone who's been recently tuning in with us, streaming our online services, please let us know that you're here. We would love to connect with you more deeply, get to know you. Uh, again, I'm glad that you're joining us. We've been in a series in the Psalms titled Hear Our Cry for the past few months. This morning's going to be our last sermon in this series. And then beginning next week, we're going to enter into a nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit uh, based out of Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the midst of this pandemic, uh, we've all been forced to see that we are powerless and not in control. Much has been stripped away, and one thing is very clear is that I believe God is wanting to do a deep work of renewal in our hearts and lives. Fruit of the Spirit series is going to be looking at what a life experiencing renewal really looks like. This morning we're still in Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalm 139 together. So if you would turn with me as we open up God's Word, and I will read Psalm 139. This is God's word to us. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The prophet Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, I do ask that you would take these beautiful big and magnificent truths of who you are that we see spelled out and declared here in Psalm 139 and bring them to bear on all of our hearts and all of our lives that we might be transformed 
because the living God has spoke to us. Be with us now. We need to hear from you. So I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name I ask all of these things. Amen. Well, Psalm 139, I think the force of Psalm 139, it's felt in two ways. It takes what can often be our small view of God, a man-sized theology, and it blows up our small construct and gives us a God-sized theology. Yet it, it doesn't allow us to merely think of God or to have a big theology of God that is detached from our personal lives and experience. And this convergence is where the rubber meets the road for us. So don't we all ask the question, what difference does God or a good and right theology of God mean for me? What, does it, what, what difference does it make for how I live day in and day out? Psalm 139's force is seen in that it does not allow us to become detached theologically and it does not allow us to become overly private and individual apart from God. Psalm 139 declares who God is, specifically who God is to you. So what I want to do this morning is raise our minds and hearts to the magnificent truths of God in this psalm, a good and right theology, and then prayerfully show how these truths answer some of our heart's deepest questions. If you're trying to follow along, the way I'm framing the sermon is point one, it's going to be fairly quick, the four magnificent truths of God, and then point two, which will be more lengthy, the four deep heart questions which we all ask that these truths help answer. Derek Kidner and a friend of mine, Rankin Wilburn, have been helpful to, helpful to me in this sermon. Derek Kidner, particularly in his commentary on Psalm 139, notes that there are four theological truths of God in this psalm. The first one we see in verses 1 through 6, that God is all-seeing, all-knowing. That God is the creator, and everything else is his creation. Therefore, nothing is outside of his scope of knowledge and sight. God knows when we sit down and rise up. God knows the sentences we will speak before we utter the first syllable. The second truth that we see is in verses 7 to 12. God is all present. That there is no place where God is not. He is everywhere equally at all time. If David goes up or down to heaven or Sheol, if he goes east or west, wings the morning or to the sea, God is still there. Even in darkness... God is present. The third truth, verses 13 to 18, God is all-powerful. All that God decrees comes to pass because of his great power. God is intimately involved in all of his creation. Verses 15 to 16, even from the time of being in our mother's womb, God has been involved. The fourth and final truth that we see here is in verses 19 to 24. God is all holy. Now, perhaps as I read this psalm, you thought these verses don't seem to fit into the rest of the psalm. But here, David is praising God for the fact that God is a God of justice, which we've been seeing throughout this series in Psalms, and we heard preached extremely well last week from Brent Strong out of Psalm 137. The Psalms revealed to us that God is loving and just. He is merciful and 
holy, that in God love and justice embrace. Martin Luther King spoke this truth very eloquently when he said, quote, power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. So these are the four theological truths of God in Psalm 139. God is all seeing, all knowing. God is all present. God is all powerful and God is all holy. But as I said, these truths do not and they cannot remain abstract. I don't know if you noticed how the entirety of this psalm is in either first or second person. Some form of me or you is in almost every stanza. These magnificent truths, this God-sized theology helps us answer some of life's deepest personal questions that we all ask. So here's my second point, four deep heart questions. Here's the first question that we all ask. Am I known? Am I known? Look again with me at verse one. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Verse four, even before a word is on my tongue, you know it. This knowledge is too wonderful for me. Being truly known and understood, it's a desire and longing for every single person. Is it not refreshing to have someone hear you share something and then they respond with, me too? There's a relief that comes in that statement because you feel like this person actually gets me. This person understands me. We all long to be known and understood. And David is saying, God knows you. God understands you. He doesn't just know you're going out and, uh, you're going out and coming back. He knows your thoughts. He knows your ways. He knows your words. Now, if we're honest about this truth, it is comforting, but it, it can also be terrifying because God's knowledge of us has an investigative thrust behind it. He investigates us. He searches out our thoughts, our hearts, our words, our ways. God knows all that is true of our private lives. Imagine with me that you have a notebook of this past year or just the past four months filled with notes containing everything that you've done, thought, or said. And you accidentally drop it and leave it somewhere only to realize this a few hours later. And so you rush back in a frenzy and you see a crowd of people gathering around your notebook, reading the notes, tweeting them out, posting them on Facebook, blogging about them. What would you want to do? I know I would want to run as far away as possible. I wouldn't want to show my face again. I'd find somewhere else to live and new people to be friends with. I think this is why David is saying, where can I go from your spirit? In light of being exposed, David has thought about fleeing. He is considered running and hiding. It is scary to think about someone knowing all the private parts of our lives, all the things that we think act and say. And this fear, what we've learned to do our whole lives is to hide our true selves. How to justify running away from relationships where people are really beginning to get to know us. 
We run and hide by our accomplishments and performance or by shutting down emotionally and disconnecting or by wallowing in depression or by moving from city to city or by changing the subject of a conversation or even more deliberately, we can run and hide by outright lying to people. We've learned to do this because either we've been known by someone and hurt by them so we no longer trust or and keeping people at a comfortable distance has worked for us somewhat in life so far. The dilemma is that we all desperately long to be known in every way, while at the same time, we shake in fear thinking about people knowing all of us. A couple of years ago, there was a New York Times article titled My So-Called Blog, where the author describes a college student named Jay. Listen to this article. Jay's sense of private and public life was filled with contradiction. He wanted his post on the internet to be read, and he feared that people would read them, and hoped that people would read them, and didn't care if people read them. I, I like that because I think that's true for many of us. We long to be known, so much so that we put some of our deepest thoughts, latest actions on the internet. We post on Facebook and Instagram, and at the same time, we get frightened at the possibility of people actually knowing these things about us. Here's why it's scary. It's hard to trust people with our deepest, darkest secrets because we don't know what they will do with them. Will they know us in these ways and then desert us? And this leads to the second heart question that we can ask. Am I alone? am I alone? See, God can be all seeing and all knowing. He can know us completely and thoroughly, but we can still question, God, will you know me and desert me? Will you hurt me in some way? Leave me all alone. God, can I trust you with your knowledge of me? It's verses seven to 10, David says, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. David is telling us that God will never desert us. That even if we want to run away and hide, even if we want to be alone, he remains with us. He will always hold us by our right Yet in our day in and day out living, we deep down ask, will I be left alone? That's a fear. I spent 10 years in campus ministry. And the beginning of the school year was always a big time on campus to welcome freshmen. It's still true today. At North Carolina Central or at Duke, or UNC, the, the beginning of the school year is a big time where the whole campus is focused on welcoming and integrating freshmen into campus life. Why is this? Because every freshman enters college scared. You've just left home where you've been for 18 years. You're entering a new place with a bunch of people you do not know, and you're wondering, will I make friends? That's true for most of life's major transitions. When you graduate from college and you move to a new city, you retire from work and you wonder what you're going to do with all this free time. We enter these transitions and we wonder, Will I be alone? Singer-songwriter David Wilcox sings, When I get lonely, that's only a sign some room is empty. But that room is there by design. If I feel hollow, 
That's just my proof that there's more for me to follow. That's what the lonely is for. So loneliness is experienced by everyone, and it's proof that we were created for relationship, particularly created for relationship with God. And David says, even in Sheol, you are with me. That's pretty amazing. Sheol is a place where nothing praises God. Sheol is the end of days. It's nothingness. And he says, even in Sheol, God, you are with me. Do you realize that Christianity offers us a personal relationship with a God who understands death? Jesus Christ was under the power of death for three days. Jesus was in a place where nothing praised God. He knows what it's like. He's been there. So even in death, even in Sheol, by faith in Jesus, we can be assured that there is no place where we can go where our God is not waiting for us. This means in pandemic, God is with us. In the face of racial injustice, God is with us. In the tyranny of the monotony, God is with us. In the fear of uncertainty, God is with us. He's always with us. We're never alone because God is all present. But if God were only all knowing and all present, we might still wonder, God, are you good? God, can I really trust you? And this leads to the third heart question we ask, am I loved? Am I loved? Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And think about this. The the God who was all powerful and created in the beginning is the creator God who with his power created you specifically. Verse 13 is language and imagery of a potter shaping and molding a unique piece of art. I was talking with a friend who was an artist a while back, and they told me that great artists make art for themselves just because they delight in their art. But there is also a place and a time for the artist to show off their art, to display their art. God is the potter. We are his clay. He molds and he shapes us and he writes the story of our lives. Each and every one of you is unique and special. God delights in you. He rejoices over you. He is very proud of you. He loves exactly who you are and what you are and what you mean in and for the world. We are God's artwork beautiful and wonderful and he delights in us and we're meant to be a display to the world of his creation and his care. When I was being examined uh, for ordination uh, and to to ministry, I was asked this question, what passage of scripture would you take someone to if they were struggling with an eating disorder? And I immediately responded with Psalm 139. You're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. Because our insecurities or our own self-hatred about the things we dislike about ourselves, it is rooted in an unbelief, in an unbelief that God really does love every single thing about us because he created us just to be just exactly who we are. God rejoices over you, not in who you should be or who you think you should be, but in who he has created you to be. 
So God is all-knowing of you. He's ever-present with you, and he loves you thoroughly. So what does it mean to be in personal relationship with this God? That's the final question I think we can ask is, what will happen if I'm in a personal relationship with God? Verses 19 to 21, as I said earlier, they can seem a little bit out of place. Look with me again. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Do I not hate those who hate the Lord? What David is saying here is that when you enter into a personal communion and relationship with the God described in Psalm 139, you find yourself growing in your love for him, which means you grow in your love of his ways and you grow in your hatred of all things that oppose him. Another way to say this is that you grow in your personal holiness and purity as you commune with a God who is all holy. Let me try to show you how this happens. Six years ago, Timothy and I spent nine days with some men at a counseling center in Tennessee. These men dug deep into our lives. They really got to know us. They were very present with us, not just physically, but emotionally. And they loved us for who we were. We stayed in touch with these men and they continue to be men who love us deeply. And you know what I find myself doing? I find myself speaking very highly of these men to other people. I tell the story of how they loved us to others. I find myself honoring them when people ask about them. Think about marriage or even a close friendship. The more your spouse or your friend knows you and they stay committed to you, and they delight in who you are, the more you will find yourself loving your spouse or your friend and defending them and being committed to honoring them. Now hear me, all earthly relationships will fail you. No human being is always knowing, always present and always loving. But if we love and honor people in earthly relationships who are these things, but only partially imagine what can happen if we realize and live into a relationship with a God who is truly all-knowing, all-present, and all-loving? We will grow in our love for God, love of his ways, love for honoring him. We will defend him and we will seek his glory in our lives and in this world. And we will ask him like David does over and over, because we are loved by him and because we love him, search me, O God investigate my heart and lead me in your ways. God, you are holy and your ways are holy. Let me love your ways. Let me love your purposes. I'm gonna live for your purposes in this world. God, investigate my heart. So David prays, see if there be any grievous way in me. This also could be translated, see if I have vexed you in any way. This meaning is, is not, God, see if I'm right or wrong. See if I'm moral in all my ways. The bigger question when you come into a relationship with a God who knows you and is present with you and who loves you deeply is, God, have I vexed you? God, have I made you sad? Have I caused you pain? If we're loving God, we will be deeply grieved when we make him sad. And God is sad when we disobey him in thought, word, or deed. God is sad when we think that our ways are better than his ways. He is sad because he loves us. 
and he wants to be in relationship with us, yet we often choose other ways than his. Deep grief over breaking the heart of God when we sin or when we see sin in our world, it is the beginning and the foundation of repentance. In our grief, we lift our eyes and we behold the greatest display of love, the provision of God's only son, Jesus. And we trust Christ, the one who was tempted in every way, yet without sin, he knows our struggles. The one who was left all alone by his disciples who denied him, he hung on the cross lonely, bearing the weight of the sins of the world. He was willing to leave the love of the Father and take the curse and wrath of judgment. And when we encounter God in this way, it leads us to love him and to love his ways, to honor him and to seek his honor in our lives and in this world. See, David knows that God is trustworthy because God loves him. Therefore, he's not afraid to be known. And he has confidence and to ask to be searched. And he wants God to search him in his ways because he wants to honor the one who loves him. Listen, the offer of the gospel of Christianity, it's not mere theological truth detached from our lives, but it's also never void of theology, just mere sentimentality. The beauty of the gospel is that we are rooted in the magnificent truths of our God. He is all-knowing, all-present, all-loving, all-holy. But in particular, he is all of these things with you. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would lead us to behold who you are, and see the truth of who you are and how these truths and your presence with us, your love towards us, your knowledge of us, your holiness and justice really does answer the questions all of us ask all the time. And so I pray that you would meet us, that you would lead us to know and to walk with you, to commune with you, to love you, to love honoring you. Thank you that you've been with us. Continue to bless us as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.